Well, good evening, grace and peace. Welcome to the table. My name is Brett and I'm the pastor here. And uh, if you're new among us, a very, very warm welcome. And we want you to know um, really that just no matter who you are, black, white, or brown, uh, Democrat, Republican, independent, gay, straight, trans, super cool, super uncool, just mediocre cool. Uh, you're really wanted and loved and welcome here. And uh, I can't guarantee that you will always be comfortable, uh, that you'll always have your beliefs and convictions mirrored back to you in the way, uh, or in a way that you say, man, I'm so glad everyone here at the table agrees with me. Um, what I can say is that we'll do our best to uh, love uh uh, each other in the midst of uh, agreement and disagreement, and that we will seek to be a community of both love uh, and uh, truthful speech. That's what theologian Walter Brueggemann, it's what he calls honest speech. And uh, that's actually what I'd like to unpack tonight. So uh, we are in a series, as you just saw, on the, the timely and really, I think, the remarkably biblical idea of lament. And uh, so the, the series title is Lament, Giving Voice to Our Grief. And last week we discussed uh, what it means to live in a culture of denial, in a culture of, of triumphalism, one that, that's kind of always pushing us to, to spin all things um, almost as us being on top of the world always and at all times, when the reality is that sometimes we're just not okay. And, and something we named last week was, it's okay to not be okay. And so that, that really leads us though to our message tonight, uh, which is titled um, Honest Speech. So our text this evening is going to be primarily from Psalm chapter 32, uh, and we're gonna return to it in much more detail in, in a little while, but I wanna kind of set the stage uh, by reading verse three. It says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. You see, there are moments where the truth erupts and interrupts our lives. And, and that's kind of the nature of the truth. It has that kind of capacity and we can hide from it for a while. We can suppress it and try to keep it concealed, almost like a suitcase that is hopelessly overstuffed. I'm sure you've been there. You're jumping on the suitcase. You're pushing on the suitcase. It's like the shirt sleeves are hanging out. And we tell ourselves, we can get it closed. But it is not the truth, right? And, and the truth is like, it's a pesky, eruptive, insistent thing. And there's a phrase I heard recently, it was kind of in an academic context. And uh, the phrase is the eruption of the real. And I don't know exactly how that academic person who said it, like how they meant it precisely, but I will say I know it from experience. Like the real is the truth and it can erupt onto the scene. We've, we've been there when the real, when the truth dropped like a hammer. I, I recently watched the HBO series of Band of Brothers, which I missed way back in 2001 because I didn't have cable, but now of course you can watch anything. And so it's a, for those unfamiliar, it's a 10 part 
mini-series based on the true story of an elite paratrooper group named Easy Company who fought in World War II from like the, the beaches of Normandy in France all the way to the heart of Germany. And it's, it's a deeply moving and, and honestly just a remarkable story. Uh, but in the ninth episode, Easy Company finally enters Germany and uh, they enter in, in April of 1945, and they meet very little resistance there. And as they enter the town uh, of, of a defeated um, kind of German local community, you're, you're given a glimpse of the Germans' humanity. There's a few German men playing Mozart in the town square. Uh, there's even an interesting scene where one of the American GIs who's looking for alcohol, he just enters the house uh, of uh, just a random German home, and it's the house of an elderly German woman. And she kind of catches him pouring this alcohol, and she sort of stares him down and shames him. And you almost get the feeling, you know, that, that we're like impressed by the pride, by the industriousness, by the fortitude of the German people. Uh, and then it happens. A handful of the soldiers from Easy Company are out on patrol in the woods surrounding this, this little village when suddenly they enter a clearing. And if you watch the series, I mean, this is, it's, you'll remember this moment. It's an unforgettable moment. They, they um, encounter this clearing and it's just, there's this makeshift kind of shoddy camp. It's like some sort of prison camp. And there are hundreds of the thinnest people you have ever seen standing there, just lined up at the fence, just holding the fence and just looking. And they're just standing there listlessly with sunken eyes and pale faces, just staring at the American soldiers. And the camera cuts to one of the soldiers who is now sprinting back to town to inform their commanding officers of you know what he's what they've stumbled upon and the colonel there asks for clarity he says okay slow down what did you find and the gi says i don't know sir it was of course uh, a concentration camp one of the many where over six million jewish people were exterminated during world war ii and in one of the closing scenes in that episode is of the same proud elderly German woman we encountered earlier. And, and now you see her, they had brought in the local German folks to help clean up the bodies. And so there she is smudged with dirt, ashamed as she helps bury the dead. And she was part of the system that perpetuated that atrocity. It's, it's a scene that so powerfully captures the eruption of the real. It's like in that moment, the truth has found her and her community. And, and I think it's true that sometimes we, in ways we shy away from the truth, we kind of hate the truth. And, and yet there's something within us, like at another level, we, we love it, we need it, like cannot survive without it. We're drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Even when it means our pain, we must have it. Uh, John Verveke 
is uh, he's an assistant professor of cognitive psychology and science at the University of Toronto, and and he's a prolific lecturer. And uh, you can find a lot of his lectures on YouTube. And there's an example he gives uh, that I think shows the way that we long for reality, for the real. Uh, so he'll ask his students, he'll say, um, how many of you are are in are currently in a romantic relationship that that you would say is is one of the most meaningful things in your life? I mean, it brings you deep happiness, deep joy, and if it were over, your your well being it would it would take a nosedive for quite some time. How how many of you are in a relationship like that? And he says, in any class, you know, maybe half the hands in the room go up, and then he sets up this uh, hypothetical. He says, uh, imagine that your partner is cheating on you and finding out that your partner is cheating would absolutely bring about the, the, the relationship, like it would bring the relationship to an end. It'd be the end of that relationship. How, how many of you would want to know if they were cheating? And he says that consistently 95% of the hands stay up. Why? because they would rather have real suffering than fake happiness. You see, we want to be in touch with the truth, with the real, even if it costs us dearly. And I think it's this commitment to the truth, to the real, that, that in, in many ways it drives us towards honest speech, and towards lament. And if there's anything that the book of Psalms is deeply committed to, it would be honest speech. If you've ever read the Psalms, you, you know it's, it's a very raw, real book. So I want to return to chapter 32. And you'll notice that the entire passage, it is a lament. Now, it's a lament over the writer's sin. He has sinned, and it's tearing him up inside. Uh, but for our purposes tonight, I don't want you to zero in too narrowly on the idea that lament is always a lament over my individual sins. Though, though of course, it can be that. Instead, I want you to hear this passage as, as a broader example of lament, as, as an example of what happens when we, um, when we avoid honest, truthful speech versus what happens when we engage it. Uh, and I also, before I jump into this this text, I want to name, I am indebted to uh, the theologian Walter Brueggemann uh, for helping me um, kind of read and, and exegete this, this passage, understand it. So, all right, uh, Psalm 32, verse 1, we'll read verses 1 through 4. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now, notice that the psalmist says in verse 3, when I kept silent. If you're a note taker, uh, you can go ahead and write this down. Lament is the refusal of silence. So we talked last week uh, about what it means to live in a culture of denial, which is another way of saying uh, that we feel in our culture a certain pressure to remain silent. 
but what does this do to us? What does the silence do? Well, the psalmist describes how how his body, it was wasting away, how, how the bones, and what, what are bones like a symbol of, because this is of course poetry, that the bones, they're the solid structural part of us. And then he's saying they begin, it's like my bones were dissolving. It's like, it's like the, the foundation of me was crumbling, the center of me, it could not hold. And of course, people deal with this silence this decision for silence in different ways, uh, but eventually, as one of my professors used to say, it comes out. He, he called it sideways, um, and 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 we know this, right? I, I mean, someone we get how someone like wounds me, uh, and if I keep it inside um, and just kind of store it there, it doesn't just go away. But it's like it shows up in different areas, right? This is what he meant by it comes out sideways, whether in random emotional outbursts on, you know, on people towards people who don't deserve it, or a drinking problem, or ulcers, or depression. It, it comes out sideways. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, reflecting on this this chapter, he puts it so eloquently. Uh, he says, "We may deceive our neighbors. We may even fool ourselves." about a sense of guilt and alienation, but we cannot fool our bodies. Our bodies suffer in ways we eventually notice when they must become the carrier of such denial and deception. Thus, he continues, the psalmist reports on the result of silence, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. It's, it's almost as though if, if we do not speak the truth, if we do not protest, if we do not name the injustice or, or weep for our own sins or the sins of others in our generation, if we, if we refuse honest speech, then the body begins to do its own speaking. It, it begins to break down. Now, you may be thinking, well, you know, bones dissolving, body wasting away stuff, that's poetic hyperbole. But I think here the psalmist was, was yes, naming something poetically, but, but also something very real in the body, right? This is something modern science has confirmed, that there is a deep connection between the mind and the body. And as Brueggemann names, uh, the body, our bodies become uh, the carrier when we bind up, when we silence and, and refuse lament. Um, okay, so, so what, what do we do? What should we do? Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. Now, again, I, I don't want us to get too zeroed in on the idea of only lamenting over our individual sins. So, so here's my second takeaway for you. Um, lament is telling the story. As the psalmist says, I must confess. And when we confess, we tell the story. As I'm thinking of the, um, the lamentation we looked at last week. There, there's no pain like my pain, as Jeremiah goes through and gives the story. And, and as he names, when we, um, we can confess our sin, but, but we can also confess our pain. We can confess 
um, tell the story of our shame, of our rage. We can tell the story of the injustice done or the wound we have received. And uh, of course, I don't think it's an accident that nearly all of the lament in the Bible is, is poetic. It's poetry, which is to say it is artistic expression where we are trying to communicate the more that we cannot quite get at with, with just flat prose words. Uh, and so uh, what I'd like to do is give us a few minutes to go ahead and, and watch and listen to, this is a short song. It's been rewritten by Liz Weiss, Paul Zach, and Orlando Palmer. It's a beautiful version of the, um, the classic Woody Guthrie song titled, This Land is Your Land. Uh, it'll be familiar to many of you. And, and what I want you to notice is how they are lamenting by telling the story, actually many stories, uh, but they're, but they're, they're confessing, they're, they're telling the story. So um, let's go ahead and uh, watch, watch this clip. This land is your land, this land is my land, from California to the Texas border, through the Horace Mountains, with the migrant caravans, this land was made you and me. This land is your land, this land is my land, from the fields of Charleston to the fields of cotton, from the crowded prisons to the streets of Ferguson, this land was made for you and me.
you can hear how they're naming, uh, I mean, they're taking like Woody Guthrie's line of this, this land is made for you and me, but they're also lamenting, right? And you could hear them going through the various failures when, when we haven't uh, lived into that, that truth that this land is for all of us. And, and it's such a powerful example of using honest speech, using um, music to tell the story. That's lament. It's, it's telling the story. It's giving voice to the thing within, the thing that's burning us up inside, and then it's expressing it uh, outwardly through, um, through story. So uh, let's get back to Psalm 32, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6, and I want you to, to listen and see if you can pick up on the transition that happens for the storyteller. Verse five, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all of the faithful pray to you while you may be found. You can hear the shift, the transformation that occurs in, in the passage. There's this movement. Uh, but what was that transition dependent on? The psalmist tells the story, and it's super obvious, but it's easy to overlook. They, they tell the story, but they are heard. This is our third point tonight, that lament requires a trustworthy listener. There was a loving, trustworthy listener on the other side, a listener ready to respond wisely as the situation required. They are ready to forgive, ready to weep with, ready to be the solid rock that others need. There was a prayer uh, that I wrote this week and uh, I posted on social media. It said simply, Lord, today may I keep my center a part of me grounded in you like the trunk of a tree that is not swayed by the winds of circumstance. May I be solid so others can find rest in the shade of my peace. In other words, may I be someone that others can lament with and to. And of course, the psalmist describes they're lamenting to God, and that's beautiful and good. But in other places in the Bible, it, it describes how through the Holy Spirit, we, we actually hold each other up. We become the site, the place where God's listening activity happens for others. I think here of a passage like Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, which says, Bear one another's burdens. And I, I found this really simple um, sketch this week that um, it actually visualizes this passage. And um, now for those kind of listening later on uh, in the podcast, Josh, you can go ahead and put that image up. Um, it's, it's simply, you'll see, it's simply a line of people. And um, they're, each of them are carrying their own burden. And yet they're simultaneously extending a hand to do what? To, to carry the burden of the person in front of them. I think the only thing that could have made this picture better is if it were a circle. Uh, because that communicates such a mutuality, you know, but I couldn't find one. So we'll have to stick with this. But I, I just think it's a perfect, it's a, it's a great picture of, of exactly who we as a Christian community are called to become. A people 
who can both engage the honest speech of lament as well as learn to become uh, trustworthy listeners for one another. And I, I can't help but wonder, um, what would it mean? Like, what kind of impact would it have um, on you and me and, and our broader community if we could start to learn to both um, do this, to speak honestly uh, and be good hearers of one another's lament. Uh, and man, I long for us to become uh, exactly that. So if you'll go ahead and bow, bow your heads and close your eyes and let me pray over us. Lord Jesus, would you um, teach us how to speak honestly, how to give voice to whatever it is inside us that, that needs to be given voice uh, in the presence of, of a trustworthy listener. And, and may we be that, God. May we be the site, uh, the place where your listening presence happens. So we love you. It's in the powerful and life-changing name of Jesus that I pray. Uh, amen.